Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and tonight we are going to be talking a little bit about one of my absolute new favorite RPG systems. Uh, I just discovered this thing back in June, and I love it. I love, love, love the system. It is, of course, Dungeon Crawl Classics from Goodman Games. Uh, This is a fantastic book, fantastic RPG system. Uh, Quite honestly, I'd recommend this to any old players of RPGs and new players. Uh, And and that's really what we're here to talk about tonight is, uh, you know, this isn't isn't a review, per se. it's a little bit late in this book's life cycle for, you know, an effective review. This game system has been available since 2012, uh, so it's been almost 10 years. Uh, in, in fact, I imagine in 2022 there's probably going to be some kind of, you know, 10th anniversary spectacular around uh, DCC. Uh, but, you know, be that as it may, I am just now kind of discovering this because, as we've talked about on previous shows, I kind of stumbled backwards into the OSR movement. I was not there from the beginning. I'm not an OG. Far from it. Uh, I'm way too young to uh, be any kind of OG when it comes to anything uh, gaming-related. But I have seen the light, and I am now here to, to guide those of you who are not familiar with DCC out of Plato's cave, as it were, uh, because you were only looking at shadows of what RPGs can be. That was a, uh, a philosophical reference. Uh, anyone out there who got it, uh, thank you. But uh, for the rest of you, don't worry, I don't actually take it that seriously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like Elfie is saying in chat here, not only is this a good system, uh, but for those of you with cats, uh, my cat Nora loves this book. When it's sitting on the couch, or when it's sitting on the uh, the arm of the couch, it is good for her to climb on. Uh, she loves to play with the ribbon. The ribbon is uh, her favorite toy now. She just discovered it on Sunday. I was sitting on the couch reading out of the book, and Nora starts batting at the ribbon. I've got video of it. I'll put it up on Instagram uh, probably tomorrow, maybe on Wednesday. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll put that video out there at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, but you guys will be able to see video of my cat Nora batting at 
the uh, the ribbon for Dungeon Crawl Classics. So uh, Goodman Games, if you want to use that uh, to advertise your book, uh, hit me up and we can work something out. It's about time that cat starts earning your keep around here. Alrighty. So, um, that's enough preamble. Basically, what we're going to do here, uh, I'm going to move over to some screen share, and we are going to uh, take a look at the book. And we're also going to take a look at Goodman Games' website itself, uh, just so you guys can see a little bit more, uh, you know, about not just the game itself, but, you know, the things that you can and should purchase uh, in, in relation to uh, to this product. So uh, let's move over to some screen share and take a look at some of this stuff. Alright, so I've got the PDF of Dungeon Crawl Classics pulled up here. I also, as I mentioned, have a hardcover copy. Uh, I bought this in a North, North Texas RPG convention. It's very hard for me to hold this up and uh, keep it out of the way of the microphone. Because this, this is a big book. Look at that thing. You could bludgeon someone with this. It is, it is a Zweihander-sized book. Uh, that is referring both to the sword and the game system Zweihander, which also has a very, very big, meaty book. But of course we are going to take a look at some of the uh, some of the stuff on Goodman Games website before we talk a little bit more about the system itself. So let me just switch my source here. Make sure we are on the right page. Who knew? There we go. All right. Cool. So yeah, for anyone looking to get this, and we'll return uh, here at the end just as a reminder for anyone who comes in late or for anyone who uh, skips over the little preamble that I do at the beginning. Um, this is Goodman Games' website, so uh, you're, you're looking at uh, Goodman Game, goodman-games.com. Um, they've got a PDF store. They also have a regular store. Several different items here, uh, of course, Dungeon Crawl Classics and its uh, its little brother Mutant Crawl Classics, for those of you who are uh, kind of sci-fi or uh, uh, post-apocalyptic inclined. There's Mutant Crawl Classics, which adds in a few more modern elements, um, and a little bit of zaniness. Of course, Jim Wampler was on not that long ago to talk a little bit about Mutant Crawl Classics and some of the ethos around that. Um, but yeah, you can get this in a print and PDF edition for $40. It's currently in stock. Um, and that is one thing I will give them credit for. Even though I didn't buy this on the website, I bought this at a convention. Inside the front cover of the book, there's a code there for a PDF version of the book, uh, which is always nice to see. If only 
other companies followed suit and didn't make deals that made this kind of thing impossible. But of course, I am uh, being silly. Why would I expect such good service? And another thing that you will likely need uh, for this game is the special set of Dungeon Crawl Classics dice. I've got my set here, which I also got at North Texas RPG Convention. You can see a glow-in-the-dark set down here. Uh, these are not your typical D&D dice, although they're in there. There's some uh, interesting dice there as well. Uh, for example, I'm currently holding in my hands a D30. These are unusual dice. We'll talk about them a little bit once we talk about the rules. And a little bit about, uh, you know, the copy that I have. I have the San Julian edition of DCC. Uh, that That is a very awesome cover. All of these covers are pretty great, though. Uh, you know, some of them are foil and leather. Uh, some of them are some, like, you know, just cool-looking art pieces. A lot of this aesthetic is all over the place. Uh, you know, Doug Kovacs has a lot of a lot of work in this book. The main cover's Doug Kovacs. You'll see a lot of Errol Otis, uh, for those of you who are into, uh, you know, kind of the, the super old-school role-playing art. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the artists that you'll see in here. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that. But for... Now, let's switch back over to the PDF view and take a look at Dungeon Crawl Classics itself and why you should play it and how you should, in fact, get started. So, of course, we'll go by these fantastic covers. By the way, inside the cover, some of these are like multi-page splashes or color plates or things like that. So, you know, there's there's... Some of some of the coolness of this art is cut off by the fact that it's a PDF. But, like... That's the inside of the, uh... Like, of the front cover. It's... There's, there's all kinds of gorgeous stuff here. So we scroll on past... Well, let's take a look at the credits for just a little bit to just to see kind of, you know, who is in this book as far as the uh, as far as the interior art goes. Of course, Joseph Goodman, the founder of Goodman Games, wrote this. Um, but as far as the actual art that you'll find in here, interior art, you've got such luminaries as Jeff D., Jeff Easley... Uh, Jason Edwards, uh, Doug Kovacs, as we already mentioned, uh, Peter Mullen, Russ Nicholson, Errol Otis. Uh, you know, a lot of these are names that you'll recognize if you are a connoisseur of the classics when it comes to role-playing art. And you'll see quite a few great pieces. Um, a little bit of... Uh, Information on playtesting here, some more great art. And this is really cool. Um, th this is a cool little insert that they have. Uh, just some of the playtests that happened very early on. Uh, so, like, here's a playtest that happened in Genghis Khan. Um, there's a playtest at Dicehead Games in Cleveland, Tennessee. I've not been to that uh, that game shop. 
I wonder, I don't know how far Cleveland is from where I am. I need to ask Elfie offline where that is. Because it looks like a pretty nice shop there. Hope it's still there. And then, of course, down here in the corner, I feel like this is burying the lead because, uh, at least in my experience, NTRPGCon uh, is where I, where I saw the light. Let me move this back from the microphone a little bit here. A little bit of Bellmead bourbon this evening. But this is, of course, a playtest that happened at, at North Texas RPG Convention. Keep moving. Uh, you know, Jim Rosloff did some art here, and this is a dedication to him. Uh, again, another another classic luminary of role-playing games. He died back in 2011. And this is some of his final work. Um, in fact, his last four illustrations are on... As this says here, page 76, 88, 110, and 205. Um, and then there's some others that appear elsewhere in the book. But yeah, th this is legit. Uh, this this was put together with love. And the table of contents here is fascinating. I love this. Again, this is one of the things that the, the effect, the visual effect here is kind of lost when looking at... Uh, the PDF version, because uh, these things go together. Uh, but the table of contents here, let me zoom out a little bit so you guys can see it. You've got characters kind of standing next to each other, holding different banners, tombstones, all kinds of things. It makes for a somewhat disorganized table of contents, but it looks so cool. I love it. And then this is just kind of a uh, a primer of what to expect. I'll, I'll read a little bit of this here, but I'm not gonna not gonna read the whole thing because it's fairly lengthy. Abandon all presumptions, ye who enter here. Turn the pages of this tome only should you meet these qualifications: that you are a fantasy enthusiast of imaginative mind, familiar with the customs of role playing, understanding the history and significance of the elder gods Gygax and Arneson. And their cohorts, Bledsaw, Holmes, Jaquais, Cask, Kuntz, Menser, Moldvay, and Ward, and knowledgeable of the role of judge and the practice of adventure. That you understand and appreciate certain visual hieroglyphs derived from the denizens of the higher planes, whose deific entities among mortals are rendered in the common tongues Otis, Easley, Rosloff, Holloway, Caldwell, Trampier, D. Crompton, and Miller. Lots of fun stuff like that. Nice Peter Mullen illustration here of a dragon. Uh, for some reason, shooting fire out of his hands, not his mouth. But, you know, taking it to some adventurers here. And, of course, you know, here we have the core mechanic, the explanation of, you know, what to expect from playing this game. Uh, so it's, I mean, like all OSR games, like all kind of major RPGs uh, of this tradition, it is all based around the role of a D20. Um, that's, you know, your main roll a D20, add a modifier, subtract a... Uh, the opposite of a modifier. I 
completely just blanked on that. You know, roll a dice, add a modifier, subtract from the roll if, you know, necessary, and then compare it to a DC or an armor class. Uh, so anyone familiar with 5e uh, can pick this up. Anyone familiar with the old school uh, D&D can pick this up. Honestly, I... The, the system here is simple enough that I'd feel comfortable even introducing this to someone as a first game. It's, at least from, from my money, simple enough to pick up. There's not... One of the barriers to entry with 5e, I've said that I can teach a child to play 5e, which is true, and I, I've done it before, but... There is, there's a lot of choice involved with 5e. There's a lot of decisions that you have to make when it comes to 5th edition D&D. Uh, you, you, know, you decide what subclass, what class, all that stuff. A lot of those decisions are arrived at naturally in Dungeon Crawl Classics. And when it comes to... What kind of fighter or warrior am I? What kind of wizard? You know, what kind of cleric? That evolves over time. There's not subclasses, per se. You can certainly play your character in a certain archetype if you want to. You can have a, like, man-at-arms knight and a barbarian at your table, and they would both be classified as warriors within the system. Um, but there's not, like, separate paths that you have to take. It's all very simplified, uh, you know, very, very easy to, uh, to figure out. Easy to understand, difficult to master. I'd put it that way. And then one other thing that I find super interesting here is this big heading here. How is this game different from what I've played before? So obviously with this written in 2012, uh, you know, it talks about the D20 system 3.0 and 3.5. Uh, there's no 5e at the time. So yeah, it talks about how, you know, there's no prestige classes, no attacks of opportunity, feats, skill points. Uh, classes and races are one and the same. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, anyone who is only familiar with 5e, you're going to have a little bit of whiplash when it comes to the fact that elf, dwarf, and halfling are classes. They're, they're races and classes. Uh, so you're not a dwarf warrior, you're a dwarf. You're not an elven warrior, you're an elf. And they have different kind of variations therein. Elves are kind of spell swords, in a way. Uh, halflings are dexterous thief-type characters. It, it's interesting. It's different. And I like it. And then, you know, it gets into the AD&D situation. So if you're, if you're an old grognard coming in, and I'll zoom back in a little bit so it's easier for you guys to see on your screens... Um, this is an ascending armor class game, so there's no Thacko here. 
makes things very easy. This is where I get into stuff, uh, you know, talking about how uh, OSR is a, it's a state of mind, more so than it's a, a specific subset of rules. If, if OSR were strictly, you know, it has to be AD&D or, you know, it, it has to be BX or AD&D or, you know, somewhere around there. This wouldn't qualify because this has taken the old school mentality, the old school rule sets, and added some modern updates, uh, which I think is the way forward. And, you know, honestly, that's if, if you're arguing that's only OSR, if you have to calculate Thaco, um, all I have to say to that is you're going to catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And Thaco is definitely vinegar. Uh I'll, I'll put it that way. I, I've i never had to deal with Thacko, uh, but, you know, not a fan. I'm more of an Ascending Armor class fan. <clears throat> and so attack saves, skill checks, um, 1d20, add the modifier, beat the target number. And there's only three saving throws, Fortitude, Reflex, and Willpower, that's more of a, like, D20 system type uh, addition. For those of you who are, uh, again, steeped in 5e and are familiar with each stat kind of having its own specific saving throw. And then there's, you know, no matter what you've played before, here's some uh, interesting tidbits about the specific system. Um, you know, clerics turn unholy creatures, both the undead and whatever's considered unholy to their patron. All spells have a spell check. We'll get to that. It is uh, one of the main high points of this system is that that spell check system. Wizards can lose spells after casting. Uh, spell slots are not present in this game. Again, we'll, we'll get to that. Um... Clerics and Wizards, their spellcasting works differently. Uh, critical Hit Matrix, also very interesting. And the ability to burn your ability scores to enhance your dice rolls. All of that we will address. Here's a nice Rosloff piece. And Characters. And I've read this on the show before. I, I just read this when Eric Tankar was on, but I want to read this again. Because this, this statement right here, when I read this, that got me to buy the book. This little section right here was what told me this was for me. So I'm going to read it again. You're no hero. You're an adventurer, a reaver, a cut purse, a heathen slayer, a tight-lipped warlock guarding long-dead secrets. You seek gold and glory, winning it with swords and spell. Caked in the blood and filth of the weak, the dark, the demons, and the vanquished. There are treasures to be won, deep underneath, and you shall have them. That... This not only... Again, I talked about this with Tankar. This not only sums up DCC, 
this sums up the OSR movement and what it means. This paragraph, or, you know, th this, little, this little prose passage right here, this is role-playing to me. This is why I love this game so much, because of this right here. That sums it all up. It's, it's the, the triumph and the tragedy of role-playing, all rolled into one concise statement. Gorgeous piece of art right here. Look at that. And then we get into another uh, interesting selling point of DCC. Instead of starting at first level, you start at zero level. Uh, so this game is literally, you are stepping off of the farm. You are stepping out of your uh, bank that you worked at or your blacksmith shop and heading off into, uh, you know, the great unknown to adventure. And so this is where the idea of the funnel comes from. Uh, and the funnel is, it's what it sounds like. You throw your zero-level characters into a dungeon, into a crucible. Um, I've already been thinking about ways to kind of make the, the concept of the funnel fit within uh, Nighthaven. Because at some point, even though I'm making Nighthaven for 5th edition, I'd love to be able to bring it over to DCC because I feel like Nighthaven would fit in DCC very, very well based on kind of my conception of what Nighthaven is um, and what it does for 5th edition and what I hope it'll end up serving, uh, you know, what I hope it'll end up serving well in DCC. So... Beyond that, um, you roll your ability scores, you roll for your occupation, or, you know, if you're so inclined, you can let your players pick. Uh, choose your alignment, purchase your equipment with the gold that you have, and then you go into the dungeon, you go into the funnel, and there's a couple different ways to do this. Either you go until you get 10 XP. Or uh, after the first adventure, your dungeon master can say, all right, or your judge in this case. Uh, that's what they call the DM here is the judge. So I'll, I'll use that terminology when talking about this game. And then from there, you choose your class. So this talks a little bit about the funnel, and then we get into the Zochi dice. Hope I'm saying that right. These are the weird, funky dice, as it says here, in Dungeon Crawl Classics. They sell these separately. Um, but everything in DCC falls on this dice chain. So you start at a D3 all the way up to a D30. Uh, so, you know, there's your classic D4, D6, D8, D12, or D10, D12, and, uh, you know, D percentile. Uh, but there's also a D3, a D5, a D7, D14, 16, 24, and 30. Um, you can get them separate, or you can get, uh, you know, they, they sell these interesting pieces here. Uh, it comes with, like, a monster stat. This is the Hellcat, I believe. And they were selling those at North Texas. I figured, you know, it, 
if these are necessary for the game, then I'll get some as well. And so a lot of times in this game, the reason why there's so many funky dice, instead of your typical modifiers in a lot of cases, like, uh, you know, you've got a plus five to hit as a, uh, a fighter with a 20 strength in 5e, you know, five plus your proficiency bonus plus magic weapon modifiers because you're, you have your, your 20 strength. You'll be able to, you know, at that point, you should have a magic weapon according to 5e. And that's present in this game, but for the most part, it's uh, swapping out die types. So it's kind of like Savage Worlds in that way. So sometimes instead of a D20, you'll be rolling a D16 or a D24, uh, depending on circumstances. So that's why there are the weird dice. And honestly, they're pretty cool. Your, your D3 is a D6 with uh, 1, 2, and 3 on the different faces. Um, I really like the design of their D4. It's not like the traditional pyramid. It's a little bit more rounded. It's interesting. I like it. It's cool. I like these dice. They're awesome. And then, of course, you've got your key ability scores uh, to discuss. Strength, agility, stamina, personality, intelligence, and luck. So most of those are pretty self-explanatory. Strength, whether or not you can crush a tomato. Agility, whether or not you can throw or dodge a tomato. Uh, stamina, how many tomatoes can you eat? Personality, that would be selling someone a uh, tomato-based fruit salad. Intelligence, knowing that a tomato is a fruit. No wisdom here, oddly enough. That's all kind of covered by intelligence. And then luck. That is, uh, someone has stuck a tomato in your fruit salad, uh, but... Due to circumstances, you've been called away from your fruit salad, so you don't take a bite with the tomato in it. And luck's a very interesting aspect of uh, DCC. But this goes through some of the, uh, you know, modifiers, what they mean. You can go as low as a three with ability scores because you're rolling uh, 3d6 in order. But yeah, I mean, like, obviously with a three intelligence, you're not going to be able to cast a spell. Uh, and then as you kind of go up in intelligence, you can uh, you know, cast more spells. You, can't, you max out around 18, uh, because again, 3d6. And so this explains it here, you know, you roll 3d6 to determine, uh, your scores. It doesn't necessarily say in order, I don't think. Let's see. No, it does say in order. Yeah, and, and there's not a point by option here. So, 
you roll 3d6 in order. I guess if a DM wanted to, they could make up their, uh, they could make up their, uh, point by table. But yeah, you're rolling in order here. Um, which you'll notice I tried to capture last week in, uh, my session zero of, uh, Nighthaven. I do go easy on characters. I, I allow for a couple of switches. Uh, you know, I, I let them re-roll if it's going to be like a massive negative penalty. There, there are ways to make it less punishing, but still, you know, it, it is nice to be able to discover your character as as you go. It's it's a little bit less min maxy that way. There's still some. I still allow for some. Because you want people to be able to play uh, what they want to play. But, you know, it's it's nice to it's nice to have to discover a little bit about your uh, your character as you're rolling. And no, Elfie, I didn't wear my shirt. It is somewhere in the middle of my shirt pile. So uh, maybe it'll pop out at some point. But then you roll on your uh, your luck table here. Uh, which is your birth auger, and then uh, you get like a luck bonus to certain rolls based on what you roll here. So you roll a d30. I'll grab my d30 here. 11. Fox's Cunning. So I have a uh, luck bonus. I get to add my luck bonus to finding and disabling traps. If you roll a 4... Uh, you were raised by wolves, and you get a bonus to unarmed attack rolls. Uh, if you roll 27 on Holy House, uh, you get a bonus to your corruption rolls. And so forth and so on. You can see the table right here. But this simulates kind of just the, you know, luck that you encounter just like ran random things that people are super lucky at. Everyone's got, you know, weird things they're lucky with. My little sister, my mom would always have her pull the uh pull the sticker off of the Coles uh insert that came in the mail because my my little sister was more often than not able to turn up the 30% uh 30% off coupon on on the Coles insert and the Sunday paper. Uh, so that would be her, I don't know what her birth auger would be for that. Uh, cause she was not born inside of a Coles, but, you know, maybe if, if my little sister were an RPG character, maybe she would have been born inside of a Coles, who knows. And no, Elfie, I know you didn't hide my D&D &D shirt because I folded my laundry this time. So here talks a little bit about saving throws, uh, fortitude, reflex, willpower. You roll your d20, add your modifier, compare the results. Uh, fortitude is your uh, stamina modifier. Reflex is your agility modifier, and willpower is your personality. And at zero level, you start with a base modifier of plus zero to your saving throws. Um. Which, you know, you, you add your modifier to it, and then uh, it, it'll go up from there based on your uh, 
your class and, and what all you specialize in going on from there. And languages, everyone knows common, of course. Uh, your intelligence mod for each point of the intelligence modifier, your character knows one additional language. So if we go back up to the top here, you can max out at knowing three additional languages at 18th level. And if you are uh, a dwarf, an elf, or a halfling with an intelligence of 8+, you know your racial language as well. Uh, so thieves learn can't. Uh, wizards learn additional languages. But for the most part, you know, you speak common. And then if you have another language, uh, you can you can use that. And then zero level characters, you start with 1d4 hit points modified by your stamina. So let's say, uh, let's go back up here and say we've got, let's say we rolled a 14 stamina. So starting out, you got a plus one modifier to your stamina. Oh, that went off the table. Starting out at zero level, I have three hit points. I rolled a two. Before that first dice went off the table, it was looking like it was going to be a one. So yeah, uh, in all likelihood, you are going to die pretty quickly. And at the, at the start, you you know begin with five d twelve copper pieces. So you know you'd roll that. Um, no XP. You have a randomly determined piece of equipment based on the equipment table. You get one weapon based on your previous occupation. Uh, you're trained in it, and then you have a trade good that comes with that as well. Um, and then you uh, roll 1d4 on the crit table, which we'll get to. And that's how you start. Uh, there's occupation table here which details not just your occupation, but the weapon you're trained in and the trade goods you get. Interesting thing about this, um, well, I mean, first of all, you can roll a d100 to determine your occupation randomly. Um, the only way you can become a dwarf, elf, or halfling is by choosing that as your occupation. Uh, so if you start off your life as a cheesemaker, blessed are the cheesemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, nice little Monty Python joke. No matter what you end up doing later, uh, you will be a human. Uh, but if you are a... Okay, there's no elven cheesemaker. Um... Let's say you're a halfling chicken butcher, then your class moving forward is going to be halfling. No, you don't have a choice in the matter. Same thing with an elven artisan, or barrister, or chandler, or falconer, or dwarven apothecarist. You will level as a dwarf, an elf, or a halfling. And some of these, you know, you, some you do start uh, better off than others. So, I mean, like the, uh, hell, if we go down here, if you start off as a mercenary, uh, you begin trained with a longsword, 
and you get hide armor to start without even having to roll anything. Um, Wizard's Apprentice, uh, you start off with a black grimoire. Some of these uh, noble, you start off with a gold ring worth ten gold pieces. So, you know, obviously you, you kind of begin life in a, uh, a better place. And if you're a farmer, you get to roll 1d8 to determine what kind of farmer you were. But yeah, the basic idea... Um, the idea is you, you bring multiple zero-level characters to the table. And you basically have a stack of them, you run through the funnel, and whoever comes out at the end, that's your character. So the idea here is not necessarily... Uh, to min-max what you're going to be based on your profession. Uh, I know I mentioned like you start off in a kind of a different place depending on who you are. You obviously have different weapons. Uh, but this does not at all determine what you become. Uh, for the most part, that'll be your stats that determine what you become. But, you know, the chances are you're going to roll up multiple characters and you'll end up with, let's say, an alchemist, a ditch digger, a halfling glove maker, an elven forester, a soldier, and a dwarven blacksmith. You probably, at least one of those characters, if not more, are going to die in the funnel. So there's that. And this talks a little bit about your weapon training. Um, all zero level characters are trained in one weapon they possess uh, from their former occupation. If you have handled multiple weapons over the course of your career, you're trained in the last weapon you fought with. As a first level character gains uh, training in additional weapons. So there's no attack penalty at zero level attacking with any weapon because it's assuming that you're just bad with everything. Um, and that mentions here in the, the play tests, if you apply that attack penalty with, you know, a weapon that you're not trained in, uh, basically no one's getting out of that funnel. And then alignment, you've got three choices. Lawful, chaotic, and neutral. And there's kind of room for shades of gray within those. So you can be lawful, evil, uh, neutral, good, true neutral, uh, chaotic, good, chaotic, neutral, chaotic, evil. And then this advancement system here I think is really interesting. Um... Monsters and things that you encounter don't necessarily have their own experience points assigned to them. It's generally understood that every encounter, be it a social encounter, uh, a monster, a trap, some situation that your players are in, uh, are worth zero XP. So, like, getting up in the morning, zero XP. All the way up to 4 XP for the most difficult of tasks. So, 
over the course of, let's say, a small dungeon, you might encounter five or six situations of varying XP levels that will get you uh, to 10 XP for your first level or, you know, beyond first level. And everyone who participates in the encounter receives the same amount of XP. It's up to the judge to determine how much XP is rewarded. And you reach... Everyone has the same thresholds. It's not like OD&D where a wizard levels slower than a thief or a fighter. Everyone levels at the same rate. Which is outlined here. Max level is 10. Uh... So it's 10 XP to move up to first level, 50 to go to second, and it it gets pretty steep as you go on. Fifth level is considered name level, and at that point, uh, that's when you're actually, you know, in it for the long haul. If your character gets to fifth level, unless you do something stupid or, you know, your, your judge ends up throwing something kind of heavy at you, in all likelihood, you, you might survive most things. Still, you know, death is always possible here. The, life is uh, life is cheap here. And then, assuming you survive the funnel, you end up being able to choose a class. Uh, so as mentioned, if you have a demi-human profession, dwarf, elf, or halfling, uh, you'll level as a dwarf, elf, or halfling. Look at those classes kind of moving forward. Uh, you get an additional hit die per level in your class. You are trained in a certain list of weapons. Uh, you have a certain action die based on what you're doing. And then you have titles associated with each level up through fifth level. So, for example, the cleric. It's the first class, so we'll use it as the example. Uh, you have a D8 hit points uh, per level. So let's say that our character, uh, who ended up with uh, three hit points, survives. Let me find my D8 here. So he's going to be a cleric. So I get seven more hit points at first level. That is nice. Uh, so that brings me up to a total of ten hit points. And then at the next level, I'll roll another d8. Eight more. Sweet. So we're starting to, you know, power up a little bit here. You choose your god. Uh, there are patrons and gods listed at the back of the book. Um, or, you know, if you've got certain deities that you want to bring into uh, your system, you can use kind of the guidelines given in the judge's rules. Uh, your spell checks are not hindered by any armor. Uh, you can wear any armor, and then on page 32 it outlines what weapons you can use, uh, which we'll get to in just a little bit. And you make a spell check, you roll on the cleric's table. If you roll a 1 in your spell check, you earn disapproval. And basically, you have to perform rituals moving forward to 
get rid of your god's disapproval towards you. Uh, you can also earn disapproval uh, by using your power in a way that your god would uh, deem sinful. Including healing characters of opposing alignments. So everyone keep that in mind. And of course you have the turn on holy table. Uh, but if we go down to... This, this talks about, you know, lay on hands. Healing, stuff like that. So if, if we're on page 30, this is 31. Page 32. Uh, depending on your alignment, you've got different weapons that you're proficient with. So if you are a law alignment, club, mace, sling, staff, and warhammer. Neutral, dagger, mace, sling, staff, or any kind of sword. Chaos, axe, bow, dagger, dart, flail. So that's interesting that you get different proficiencies and weapons based on what kind of deity you serve. I actually think that's very interesting. And of course here you've got bonuses to your saves as you level up. So at first level for a cleric, uh, you get plus one to fortitude and will. Uh, your action dice is a d20. Uh, that goes up once you get to sixth level. You know, a certain number of spells per level. And at fifth level... Everything kind of stops. Well, actually, no, that's not true. Fifth level is the maximum spell level, but, you know, you can level up to ten. Fifth is name level. So this is, uh, you know, past fifth level, your, your title stays the same. So as a cleric, uh, you start as an acolyte, a zealot, or a witness, depending on your alignment. Heathen slayer, convert pupil... Brother, cultist, chronicler, curate, apostle, judge, and then father, high priest, or druid. And that is true across the classes. Like, if we go to thieves, let's get through your thief table, you know, bravo, apprentice, rogue, capo, boss, thug, murderer, cutthroat, executioner, assassin, beggar, cut purse, burglar, rob robber, swindler. And of course, you've got different things here. You have a luck die uh, for thieves. I'm not going to go into the details of each class, uh, but suffice it to say, every class has kind of a different flavor and feel to it. You get different things. Uh, for example, uh, the warrior. I'm actually going to go to the warrior just as an, as an example here real quick. Let's go down to page 42. Warriors, you get these deed die, which instead of having a, an attack modifier, you have a uh, a deed die that you roll basically with your attack um, and modifies both your attack and your damage value. And you've got like mighty deeds that you can do in combat based on your roll uh, to see if like your attack hits and you get to. The example it gives is like a demon's coming through a portal from hell and you are pushing it back as you are attacking it.
And if we move past Warrior here, let's see. Here, we'll go to page 52 here. Dwarf. So your races are classes, too. Dwarves get in for vision. And you're kind of a... Uh, you're kind of a warrior as a dwarf. You you don't really get you don't get spells. Elves do get spells. Halflings don't, I believe. Let's move past this and talk a little bit about skizzles, skills. So basically, as far as skills go, uh, there aren't specific skills. It's really just, you know, what kind of case can you make to your judge? Based on your background at zero level or your class moving forward. Um, And then if there's ambiguity where, uh, like, your character might be somewhat familiar, but not, you know, it's not day in and day out, you can make an untrained check with a plus two bonus. Um, so as far as that goes, your skill check, um, if you're trained, you roll 1d20, and if you are untrained, you roll a d10. So... The example it gives here is a second-level wizard and a second-level warrior discover a magic anvil. The second-level warrior used to be a blacksmith. So to forge weapons on this anvil, the uh, warrior gets to roll a d20. So the warrior, you know, let's say as the dungeon master like to, you know, forge a, uh, an enchanted sword, I'm going to say you need a DC 15. Uh, so that's a 5 from the warrior. He's not going to be able to do it. And with a DC 15, neither is the uh, neither is the wizard. And so here, you know, it, it kind of breaks down what... The hell is that sound? There's like a weird clicking noise in here, and I have no idea what it is. Guys, give me just one second to see if, like, Ronan's messing with something. Okay, so Ronan's asleep in the kitchen. So there's just a weird clicking noise in here, and I have no idea what it is. This is going to be interesting to explain to the audio listeners already. So, enough of that. I'm just going insane over here. But yeah, this kind of breaks down, you know, like, different DCs based on what you're trying to do. So, you know, DC 5 tasks, child's play is what it says here. DC 10, this is, you know, a man's deeds. And then, you know, so forth and so on. Kind of goes 5, 10, 15, 20.
But that's my neighbors across the hall. Heavens to Betsy. That's what it sounds like. Sounds like they're shooting marbles at the wall. Anyway. Equipment. You guys don't want to hear about my problems with my neighbors. So, you start with 5d12 copper pieces, as we mentioned. Um, but if you are starting at a higher level, let's say you skip the funnel and you're starting at first level. Um, then at that point, you know, you roll... Uh, you're starting gold based on your level. So at that point, you are not uh, you're not starting with copper pieces. Put it that way. You're starting with gold pieces because you'll need certain equipment. And you do have to buy your equipment. So even though you level as a warrior, you're not just going to like suddenly run across gold. You will in the dungeon, but you'll have to fight for it. And then there's, you know, check penalties based on uh, the kind of armor you're wearing. So like plate mail, um, you'll have a little bit of a check penalty there. Same like with uh, spellcasters will have penalties. Um, if they try to cast spells in certain armor, except for the clerics, as we already mentioned. But here's, you know, just like a rundown of different equipment that you can get. Um, these are weapons. Funny little cartoon here about plate mail bikinis. Ammunition. Based on some of the, uh, Weapons that you can get here that need ammunition. And then armor. Uh, and as far as the armor goes, because I've made this argument before, uh, it's just vague enough to be fine by me. Um, you can kind of flavor things as you like based on, you know, the, the armor categories listed here. So I've... I've raised hell over the fact that studded leather historically did not exist. Thank you, Shadowversity, for bringing that to my attention. Um, it's bothered me ever since. And every time I see it and hear about it now, I'm just like, it's not real. It's not a real thing. Someone looked at Brigandine and thought, that looks like studded leather. No, it's, it's not a real thing. But you've got your, your leather, your... Brigandine, your hide, your scale mail, chain mail, banded mail, half plate, full plate, shields. I'm starting to think that's actually Elfie making that noise. Whatever. Um... That's really getting on my nerves. Anyway. You also have just like equipment uh, that you would buy. 
or uh, like it said at the beginning, you actually roll a d24 to uh, determine a random piece of equipment that you get at zero level. So if you're starting at zero level, I rolled a 14. So I would start with a lantern. And then you've got some related gear with your mounts. So bridle and bit, two gold pieces, eight gold pieces for a mule or donkey, uh, 200 for a war horse, 75 for gold pieces, uh, 30 gold pieces for a pony. Ronan is worth far more than that. He is up near the 200 range. I guarantee you. Um, but beyond that, then we get into combat here, and this uh, we're going to speed up things a little bit as we're kind of getting late. I just love talking about this system, though. Uh, combat's pretty simple. Um, check for surprise, roll initiative, uh, everyone acts in order, and then attacks are resolved by rolling dice, adding your modifier on and on. Each round is 10 seconds. And there's not really a there's not really like a balance mechanic here. This game doesn't really care about balance. And balance is one of those things I'm starting to kind of believe is not really an important issue either. Uh, Professor Dungeon Master had a great video about this where you know it, it, every fight is not a fair fight. In fact, the most dramatic fights, the, the most interesting moments in movies, in history, are unfair fights. 300 Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. That was not a fair fight. The Alamo, also not a fair fight. Uh, you know, all, all kinds of interesting things. If you want to talk about, like, purely uh, movies, Daredevil in the hallway in uh season one episode two of of daredevil not a fair fight he had been through hell and back uh going up against multiple gangsters and he comes out on top so yeah balance it, it's more about you know how your players overcome the circumstances and sometimes they'll have to retreat So as far as initiative goes, um, it, it, here it says like in low level play, uh, you'll want to use group initiative, but in higher level play, um, you know, you'll be rolling for each character. And so basically what that means, if you're a warrior, you get to add your class level to your initiative role. So let's say our character, uh, you know, gets get they've got a plus two modifier to their agility and they're a warrior. So that is, let's say, a first level warrior. So at that point, you have a seven, eight, nine to initiative because I rolled a six. And then from there, it's just like, um, 
It's just like, you know, any D20 system. Uh, the action dice that we showed uh, on the cleric table. Remember, we had a D20 and then we had a D14. Um, when it comes to, you know, leveling up, you do get additional actions. Uh, you just don't always get to roll a D20. So let's say a cleric, uh, you know, using those action dice, uh, they are able to hit with a mace and then cast a spell. So let's say they start by casting a spell. Rules of three, that's not going to be great. And then, you know, they follow up with, you know, attacking with a mace. That's two, also not very great. But that's the way it works, uh, as far as, like, taking multiple attacks. Fighters, or warriors in this case, have a similar uh, mechanic there. And it explains kind of, you know, what an action is, as far as, uh, you know, drawing or sheathing a weapon... Uh, can be used as part of a movement action, same with equipping or dropping a shield, opening a door, uh, you know, attacking, casting a spell, those are actions, lighting a torch, uh, drinking a potion, mounting a horse, standing up from a prone position. That is actually brutal. That, because in 5e it takes half your movement, uh, here it takes a whole action. So if you if you can knock someone down, you can make them waste their action to stand back up. Just for those of you who are tactically minded. And your AC is determined by a, uh, you know, shield and armor. And agility. So. Unarmored, zero level peasant, your AC is 10. So wearing more armor, you know, obviously your armor class is going to go up. And it talks about range, attack roll modifiers, and fumbles. Uh, there are... You, you'll roll on the fumble table if you roll a 1. And it is a... Uh, basically, it's a d20 roll just to you know, go through what's going on here. So, uh, I rolled a 6. Your weapon becomes entangled in your armor. You must spend your next round entangling them. In addition, uh, your armor bonus is reduced by one until you spend ten minutes refitting the tangled buckles and straps. So these can be pretty brutal. And then critical hits. Um, every, every class and even certain levels... Uh, you, you've got a critical hit table. So if you roll a 20, you then get to roll on your critical hit table. Thieves and elves, halflings, low-level warriors, low-level dwarves, on and on. And this is one of the interesting things about uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics is the, uh, the the tables, especially in in the magic system. But even like the fumble table and the crit table, those are super interesting mechanics. And they make things very, very cool because, you know, obviously in 5e, you know, you crit, you do double damage. It's kind of up to the player themselves to envision in their mind what happens when they crit. 
Um, which for some players is great, for some it's a nightmare. Uh, but if you're rolling, th like this is a D30 table. For a high level warrior. Uh, so, you know, for the most part, You, know, you you wouldn't really know what you would do, but for this one, I rolled a 23. So Strike to the Skull stuns foe for 1d4 plus 1 rounds. Two rounds. I rolled a 1. And permanently reduces intelligence by 1d12. So... 4. And then you make another attack on your inert foe. So some interesting things can happen here with this uh, these crit tables. Rules for mounted combat and mighty deeds. This is what I was talking about earlier with warriors. You can declare a mighty deed of arms um, prior to any attack. And then uh, if your deed die comes up as a three or better. So that's the modifier that I was talking about. You start with a... Uh, you get a D3 modifier as a warrior. So, in the example that it gives here, um, you get that... Uh, you know, you're fighting that demon that comes out of the pit, and you want to push him back in. So you roll your attack and your modifier. It gives an example here, strength of 16... So I rolled a 3 here, and then I rolled a 9 on top of that. So uh, if the attack hits, which in this case, um, I don't remember what, AC-17, so the attack wouldn't land. But if it did, uh, I'd also be able to push him back into the pit. That's awesome. Again codifying rules that allow players to do cool things uh, but leave enough room for uh, creativity and creative solutions and creative thinking when it comes to stuff like that. Awesome. And it gives examples here. You know, blinding attacks, disarming attacks, pushback, uh, trips and throws, precision shots. For that player that always wants to know why a headshot doesn't kill something immediately. Rallying maneuvers, defensive maneuvers, weapon-specific deeds, signature deeds. Uh, so if you are Sir Gorgon the Slicer, your signature deeds probably going to involve kind of, you know, slicing. Cutting off arms, that kind of thing. Maybe to use my example NPC that I like to use all the time, uh, Sarkon the One-Eyed. Maybe he also likes to put out someone's one eye. And this talks here about damage and death. Um, add your strength bonus to uh, melee weapon attacks. Bleeding out, uh, there's a chance to save a dead character by healing him very quickly. So a zero-level character that reaches zero hit points is irrevocably killed, but a first-level character 
Uh, you begin bleeding out. You have one round to be healed or die permanently. And for each level past that, so if you're second level, you get two rounds. Third level, three. On and on. So it's easier and easier to survive the higher level you get. And if you're bleeding out but you're saved, you suffer a permanent physical trauma, um, permanently lose one point of stamina. And then you gain a terrible scar from the wound. And if your body can be recovered, um, find a dead ally's body within one hour, you can make a luck check. Um, and this keeps you from permanently dying. So that's interesting, too. And healing, uh, this is where, again, this, this is a harsher system. As far as healing goes... Um, eight hours of sleep, a good night's rest, you get one hit point back. A day of bed rest, two hit points per night. Uh, same thing if you burn ability scores. Uh, not luck. Luck is a permanent sacrifice. Uh, that's another interesting thing about this. Both in spell casting and, uh, for, like, melee attacks, you can burn your luck score permanently to temporarily increase a roll by one. So let's say I roll for an attack a 10. It's not quite where I need it to be. Plus two bonus to my, uh, my, for my strength modifier. It's a 12. Uh, the armor class is 14. I've got a 12 luck though, so I can burn two points, make my luck 10, and increase that. Uh, however, there is, you know, a cost-benefit analysis there, because the luck does not come back. Other ability scores do come back at the same rate, one point per night's rest. So, uh, this is very important for wizards and other spellcasters, because you can literally, like, make flesh sacrifices to boost your spells, which we'll talk about in the conclusion you're talking about spellcasting. Of course, here it talks a little bit about morale and two-weapon fighting. Burning luck is mentioned here. Um, so yeah, you can like burn six points of luck to get plus six modifier to your roll. Um, and yes, this is permanent with exceptions based on, like, I don't know, appeals to a deity or if you're a thief or a halfling. And then there's some, like, things here. Turning unholy. Spell duels. Spell duels are interesting. Instead of there being a counterspell spell, uh, like, certain spells offset each other. And there's a table down here that explains that. But there's a whole... There's a whole system for spell duels. Which can include... Um, like, there, there's a whole table here based on what happens. Um... Philogiston Disturbance is, like, what happens if both the attack and defense end up being the same number, uh, basically rifts in time and space open up. And the last thing we'll talk about here is magic. 
because magic is uh it's very different and very cool here this is kind of like the meat and potatoes of the the main difference between this and other systems are these magic tables and the the way that spells are cast it's very vancian uh the dying earth for anyone who is unfamiliar with appendix n Jack Vance is the author. It's kind of where the idea of D&D spellcasting comes from. I won't get too much into that. Um, but basically, when you cast a spell, you don't just spend a spell slot and cast it. You roll a d20. Um, Skeeter Green used the example of Magic Missile. It can either be a Roman candle or like a nuclear bomb, depending on what you roll. So let's say you cast Magic Missile... I rolled a four. That's not going to be great. And if you roll low enough, um, y you can lose the spell, either temporarily or permanently. And generally, it's it's a DC of ten plus two times the spell level. Uh, to succeed on a spell, and then the higher you go above that, the more extraordinary your result. And you get additional bonuses, uh, you know, for, for natural 20s. Um, yeah, it's... You can roll untrained if you're like a warrior reading off of a spell scroll, uh, but don't do that. Excuse me. And then you, like I mentioned earlier, you can do spell burn, which is basically you make some kind of sacrifice to uh, boost your results. And here there's a D24 table that talks a little bit about, like, you know, these are examples. If your player doesn't come up with, like, a role-play example of, you know, I, I cut off my pinky finger, then you can roll a D24. And I got a 9, so the wizard uses a hot iron to brand a supernatural symbol on his arm or torso. It's some gruesome, grim stuff. And you can see that here by this drawing. He's, like, stabbing his hand. Um, this is, like, true blue-black magic stuff. And that's really one of the most interesting aspects of Dungeon Crawl Classics. The use of magic is dangerous. You truly are manipulating the forces of creation and destruction. Um... So being a wizard, or even like being a cleric, you, you're playing with fire. And not just literal fire that you're throwing around. Like, you... If things go wrong, you could die. Just from, like, trying to cast a spell. And so there is, um... a finite number of times that you can cast a spell depending on 
what you roll. Uh, so, you know, a spell could be lost or not lost, depending on what you roll. And that's more of a wizard thing, because with clerics, it's about the uh, approval of your deity. And then there's also mercurial magic. And so there's a table here uh, that kind of, you know, talks about how different spells manifest. Depending on, you know, what you roll. So in certain cases, like if you roll low, it's percentile roll. Um, you can cast a spell at great cost. Every time you cast the spell, someone you know dies. All the way up to, if you, like... A hundred, or actually from there, uh, you know, fine control, 94. Wizard is adept at reigning in the magical energies of the spell and can choose any result on the spell chart equal to or lower than the one rolled. And then, of course, there's corruption. Um, and basically, you know, continual use of magic results in as this says, dot, 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 changes. And so every time you roll a natural one on a spell check, you suffer the effects of the spell failure, and uh, it can misfire, and you might suffer corruption. So if you do suffer corruption, roll on the table. You've got minor corruption here, and then as this uh, table shows, or this drawing, rather, uh, corruption can get out of hand very, very quickly. There's major corruption as well. <clears throat> You've got kind of a, like, Voldemort situation here. And then there's greater corruption. And a spell misfire table if your spell misfires based on the results you get. And then deity disapproval for the clerics if a cleric spell fails. Ritual magic, spell grimoires. And then here's a list of known spells for wizards. Page numbers correspond to uh, certain spells... So that you can, you know, look up what each table is. Uh, cleric spells as well. There's one I want to show you guys in 282. Because the spell's off the chain. It's only a second level spell. But it's off the chain. And then there's uh, patron spells as well. Depending on who your patron is. There's a couple patrons listed here. But yeah, I want to show you guys here on, on page 282 the uh, Stinging Stone. I'll show you the picture that comes with it, too, uh, which is down here. You see uh, this, like, Egyptian cleric type throwing a black widow at someone. This is the example of some of the stuff that you can find here. Um... 
A cleric transforms an object into a poisonous creature. For example, the cleric can change a sling stone into a spider, an arrow into an asp, or a staff into a serpent. Some Old Testament stuff here. And there's, like, you know, roles here as far as manifestations. Um, but yeah, that that's some of the stuff that you're dealing with here. So yeah, um, spellcasting is awesome. It is absolutely metal as hell. And it talks a little bit about, you know, quests and journeys, and then it gets into some judges stuff. Uh, which I'm not going to go over because it's kind of basic, but there there is an overview of like you know deities and patrons, um, and and different things that they add, scrolls, magic items. There's a table here, uh, just that I want to go to because it talks a little bit about um. Like magic swords. Basically, the um, the argument of this book is that a magic sword will have a personality of its own. And so there's like a table uh, that goes through creating magic swords and different like personality quirks they can have. Uh, which I find super, super interesting. But yeah. Um, long and short, that's what you're in for with Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, so to summarize... It is a brutal game where lots of things can go wrong, but if enough things go right and you survive by the skin of your teeth, uh, you can get to do really cool things and have some really great stories. And yeah, that's, you know, all, all in all, that's really the, the selling point of Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, you're going from the farm, you know, you're, you're going from farmer to hero over the course of 10 levels, if you make it that far. So it, you you either, to, to bastardize a quote from the Dark Knight, you either die a nobody or live long enough to see yourself become the hero or villain, depending on uh, which way things go as far as your uh, your spell rolls are concerned. So, yeah. If that's what you're looking for, uh, and I think you really should look for stuff like that, uh, you know, the, the, these are the adventures where you're going to end up with like a John McClane type character uh, barely escaping with their lives after just kind of going through hell. John McClane's a great example of someone burning luck points to stay alive in situations where uh, he ought to have died. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, this is Dungeon Crawl Classics. And uh, one more time here, just for the benefit of everyone, I'm going to take you back to uh, Goodman Games' website just to take a look a little bit at um, some of the offerings that they have on the website. So, of course, there's the main book. There's tons of adventures. Uh, for anyone who's, you know, super into... Uh, like licensed properties as well. Um, specifically, if you're a big fan of Fritz Lieber, uh, they do have an officially licensed Lankmar. 
Uh, so those of you who are Fofford and Grey Mouser fans like myself, uh, this is there for uh, for your edification. The uh, box set is out of print, but you can still get the PDF. And there's lots of other cool stuff here. Uh, you know, Goodman Games also has D&D adventures that they've kind of brought back. Uh, they've got some 5e stuff as well. Of course, there's Mutant Crawl Classics, which is like DC... It's the same mechanics as DCC. Uh, they're very compatible with each other. But it's more along the lines of uh, Gamma World, Mad Max, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic stuff. So that is there. Uh, for those of you who are interested in stuff like that. But again, very similar as far as um, rule set. In fact, it's it's the same mechanics, essentially. But yeah, that, as they say, is that. Uh, so guys, thank you so much for tuning in this evening. I hope you got something out of this. I know there was a lot of distractions and me trying to find out where noises were coming from. Sorry about that. Um, but I hope you got a good feel for Dungeon Crawl Classics, and I hope that I've inspired some of you who have only played 5e or only played, uh, Pathfinder, or only played certain systems to seek out DCC and encourage your tables to give it a go, roll up some zero level characters, enter the funnel and see who comes out the other side. So guys, that's going to be it for me this week. Uh, as a reminder, coming up next week, uh, August the 2nd, Lou uh, Lu is going to be on to talk a little bit about Dare Luck Club and some of the Mutant Crawl Classic stuff that he's done. He's made some MCC adventures. We'll talk a lot about that, I'm sure. I met him in Texas. He's a cool guy. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk with Lou Lu next week. And then the week after that, we are going to be doing Session 1 of Nighthaven Shades of Grey, using 5e here on Rolling Bones. I'm looking forward to it. The guys are looking forward to it. Uh, so some adventures in my world of Nighthaven. Uh, I look forward to seeing all of you guys then. But until then, whether you roll a 1 or a 20, whether you get to keep that spell or you lose it forever, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And I will see you guys next time.